Let me just read the text for today. Um, it's Ephesians chapter 3, if you've got your Bibles handy, uh, verses 1 to 13. Oops, I've turned to the Old Testament, as is my want. What is this appendix at the back? Ephesians. Ah, there it is. I used to call the uh, New Testament the appendix when I was um, doing my PhD in Old Testament studies and it really wound some of the New Testament guys up. All right, chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. This is the reason that I, Paul, am a prisoner for Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. For surely you've already heard of the commission of God's grace that was given me for you and how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I wrote above in a few words, a reading of which will enable you to perceive my understanding of the mystery of Christ. In former generations, this mystery was not made known to humankind as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. That is, the Gentiles have become fellow heirs, members of the same body and sharers in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I've become a servant according to the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. Although I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to bring to the Gentiles the news of the boundless riches of Christ and to make everyone see what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the wisdom of God in its rich variety might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose that he has carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have access to God in boldness and confidence through faith in him. I pray therefore that you may not lose heart over my sufferings for you. They are your glory. Do you ever get distracted? Stop looking out the window, man. Do you ever get distracted? Have you ever been talking about one thing and suddenly you find you're talking about another thing and then a phrase catches you or an interesting story comes to mind and you follow that and before you know it, you've gone down a bit of a rabbit trail. My wife, Katie, she loves a good talk. Okay, she loves a good chat. And Sometimes we, you know, we sit down for 20 minutes, half an hour, and we find we're talking about all kinds of things. And then we'll stop and we'll say, how do we get to this? Because we were talking about that. And we'll trace it back. Oh, yeah, that led to that. And that raised that issue. And that, have you ever done that? Yeah? Spaghetti sort of conversation that just winds its way around. And each distraction brings up another. In fact, being distracted is one of the reasons that I write out my sermons in full. Um, I don't refer to them all the time, as you, as you can see. But when I was younger, when I started preaching, I think I preached my first sermon when I was 17, and I thought, all I need is a card with five points on it, and then I'm just going to talk through that. <laughs> Have a guess how that went for me. <laughs> Longest sermon ever. <laughs> rambling. I would actually stop talking in the middle and, and do this and say, what am I talking about? <laughs> and <laughs> that didn't inspire great confidence. And someone wisely said to me, why don't you write your sermons out in full? Even if you don't read it and use it all, it'll help you just to 
get all the words written down and those phrases that you need to word in just the right way, you'll have them worded, you can remember those bits and you won't get lost and take the rest of us with you. <laughs> but it's true, I, I get distracted. But those of you who know me well would know that about me. I lose my train of thought. Train of thought. It's a funny phrase, isn't it? And I'm not getting distracted. It is a strange phrase. It's sort of what comes to mind is a, a, a train with a, a series of carriages that have to be in a particular order. And when we talk about, you know, when it's hard to hold those carriages in place and you're having a conversation, you need to keep everything in order and someone's about to interrupt, you say, don't, don't interrupt, I'll lose my train of thought. You don't want it to become a train wreck. You're, you're trying to hold on to this, this orderly way of thinking. And the funny thing is, when I started reading this morning's passage and preparing the sermon, it occurred to me that I've been asked to preach on a distraction. Paul is in the middle of saying something. He has a train of thought, and he's become distracted, and that's my text for today. Thanks very much. <laughs> but it's interesting to know, to look at why he's distracted, how he gets distracted, and actually it's interesting that inspired scripture can have a distraction in it. Anyway, um, let's take a look at Paul's train of thought. In Ephesians 2, 11 to 22, so this is the text that Simon spoke on last time, um, Paul spoke of the coming together of the circumcised and the uncircumcised, so Jews and Gentiles, all Christians, and he uses very strong language to talk about that. He says, there is no Jew and Gentile anymore in Christ. In Ephesians 2.15, he says, Jesus has abolished the law. Come on in now, I'll grab a seat anyway, mate. With its commandments and ordinances, that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace. So strong language that he's using here. Paul says that on the cross, Jesus put to death the hostility between these two groups between Jew and Gentile, so that no one is an alien. No one is a stranger anymore. We're all citizens. All of us are citizens. We're all at home in this house that, where Jesus is the cornerstone. It's home for all of us. And more than that, he uses more striking language. He says we're all growing together like an organic, like an organism. We're growing together into a holy temple. And get this, we, we are becoming a place of dwelling for God. We are becoming God's house. I thought I'd find that striking. Wow. We are a dwelling place for God. And this is what John has been emphasizing too in his sermons, saying that it's not about you and you and you and you. It's about you, y'all, as he put it. We are together an organism a temple, a dwelling house, a dwelling place for God. We are the church. As uh, Neil said yesterday in a sermon with the candidates, don't stop going to church and start being the church. I like the way he put that. And that's remarkable, but it's not our focus because that was last week's and we're not getting distracted. <laughs> so the first carriage in Paul's train of thought is this unity between Gentiles and Jews, this new humanity that is being built into the house of God made possible through Christ. 
And so Paul begins chapter 3 by saying, this is the reason that I, Paul, am a prisoner for Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. But then something comes into his mind. And in our Bibles, we just get a, a hyphen there. He appears to have reminded himself of something, of his special calling to the Gentiles, and he, he can't help it. He wants to say a little bit more about it. Now, we know from uh, texts like Galatians 2, verses 7 to 9, that Peter had a special calling to the Jews, and Paul had a special calling to the Gentiles, and we see them coming into a bit of tension about that here and there, and we see that playing out in some of the letters and in Acts and so on. But what Paul's referring to here when he calls himself a prisoner is quite literally his imprisonment, right? You can read about this in Acts 22, and we'll have a look at that in a moment. He's been going around proclaiming a law-free gospel, and the Jewish Christians don't like that because the law is pretty significant to them. You can't just take that out of the mix. And so they want to imprison Paul, and Paul's imprisonment becomes a really significant event or part of his life, his understanding of who he is. And on one hand, you, you can hear him referring back to it in a lot of his letters as being central to his calling because he knows he was imprisoned because of the radical message that he's preaching that says, Gentiles, you're also included. You're part of this family. Now, for us, we just, we're all Gentiles and we just think of this as normal. This was radical in Paul's time. This was a huge shift for him to be going around and saying, actually, you know how in the Old Testament it was all about God's purposes through Israel? Well, now we're being grafted into that tree. All of us, we're all included. So on one hand, he was imprisoned for preaching that message, and that's really significant. But on the other, he also comes to understand his spiritual identity through his imprisonment. And here in Ephesians 3.1, he refers to himself as a prisoner for Christ for the sake of you Gentiles. But that phrase can also be translated a prisoner of Christ for the sake of you Gentiles. A prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now that's some striking language. This little word, this little Greek word to, T-O-U, can mean of or for. Now why am I talking about that? I haven't been distracted. I'm on, I'm on task here. Do you know what? I think that little word too is the reason, I suspect, that Paul gets distracted. He says, I'm a prisoner for Christ Jesus or of Christ Jesus. And then he, and then he recalls, actually, that's pretty significant. I better tell them all about that. And throughout Paul's letters, he refers to himself again and again as a prisoner of the Lord Jesus, sometimes as the prisoner of the Lord Jesus in Philemon. The description is true because he was literally a prisoner, but it's also theologically true. It's who Paul is. It's how he understands his identity. And so his imprisonment, his physical imprisonment, is a direct consequence of his spiritual captivity to Christ. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul uses doulos, the word for slave, in the same way, to speak of his unconditional allegiance to Jesus. And I don't probably need to say this, but Paul's not complaining about this. 
Uh, I'm a slave. I'm a slave to Jesus. I'm a prisoner to Jesus. No, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. Yes, it's very striking language. And there's some wordplay at work there. But he, this, is, this is his life. This is who he is. And so this is where his digression begins. Verse 2. Uh, I'm assuming, of course, that you've heard that God entrusted me with this message for you. Now, when we start a sentence like that, I'm assuming that you know about that car crash I had the other day. We're really hoping that they'll say, no, well, I don't know about that. And then we say, well, let me tell you. <laughs> I was driving along and so it goes. Now, if you say to someone, I'm assuming you know about that car crash I had the other day, and they say, yeah, yeah, I heard it. You say, yeah, yeah, well, let me tell you again. I was driving along. <laughs> because that's the reason you say that, right? You just want to tell the story. And that's, that's what's happening here. Paul says, uh, I'm assuming you know that God entrusted me with this incredible message for you. Well, I'm just going to get straight into it and tell you all about it. And the next two sentences in Greek, 14 verses... <laughs> in English, because he can't stop talking. He's not stopping to take a breath, or someone might say, you already told us this one. I know he's writing it down, but still, you get the point. He just wants to, he's, he's passionate here. He wants to get this out. And how did this mystery become known to him? Well, it's all, it's spattered throughout the New Testament. It's fascinating. Let's just read a bit from Acts 22, where Paul does talk about how this gospel became precious to him. It's in a narrative form there, which I think is a bit easier to take in sometimes. I'm just going to read from Acts 22. You don't need to look it up from verse 3. This is Paul talking. I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way, Christianity, to their death arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. Uh, what shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you'll be told all that you've been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you've seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. This is a really significant event in the life of Paul. We get it a number of times. 
uh, through the New Testament. Galatians, in, early on in Acts 9 and then here in Acts 22. You will be his witness to all people of what you've seen and heard. Sorry, verse 17. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, Go, I'll send you far away to the Gentiles. Now the crowd listened until, to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. And things get a little bit heated, as you can imagine, because now Paul has said that he's called to bring the Gentiles to faith. But we get the point don't we? We see how important these, these events were in Paul's life and why he has to go through them mid-sentence in Ephesians 3. They shaped Paul. They shaped his self-understanding. And this is why he interrupts himself. So back to his train of thought, he's talking about how the household of God is made up of Jewish and Gentile believers. Then he says, this is the reason that I'm a prisoner of Christ. And then actually, have you heard about that? Have you heard about the grace that was given to me? Have you heard about the mystery that was revealed to me? Have you heard about the mission that I got entrusted with? Because I'm going to tell you anyway, whether you've heard it or not. Paul loves the gospel. And he understands himself in light of it and his calling, what he's doing in the world. And he's distracted by it. And that is a wonderful thing. My prayer for us today, and my prayer for each of you as we head into Easter, is that you will be distracted by the gospel. It is my hope that as you sit in class, as you listen to people talk over lunch, have coffee, as you speak with friends and family, your children and friends over the Easter time, that you will be distracted by the gospel. That you will remember that you've been called to embody Christ in those contexts and to speak his words. I hope that as you look back over rabbit trails of conversations, you'll find Jesus left, right and centre in those. I hope that you will take conversation and lean into Christ as you speak about various things over the Easter break. Be distracted by the gospel. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're so grateful that you have called each of us. That there's a summons on our life to give you glory in every context that we're in. And I just pray that over this Easter time as we come to the end of the week, here, in our college life and beyond, that we would be so distracted by you, that we would not be able to help but speak of you and speak of the meaning that you've given to our lives. We ask these things in your name. Amen.